0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK 12 education. My name is Jesse Seneschal. I am the director of Merck and the host of this podcast today. Over the past two years, Merck has been working with a group of about 40 educators on the ART CRIT project, and that stands for Action Research Teams for Cultural Responsive Teaching. This project's a collaboration between Merck, Henrico County Public Schools, and Chesterfield County Public Schools. Since the summer of 2019, Art Crit has worked with educators from two high schools in Chesterfield, Monica and Meadowbrook, and two middle schools in Henrico, Cuyahacan and Tuckahoe. These educators, and when I say that I mean teachers, but also counselors, librarians, and deans, each of them designed and carried out school-based action research projects to answer questions about their CRT, cultural responsive teaching practices, With the interest in impacting student outcomes and supporting their own professional growth in this area. As we're coming to the conclusion of this professional development program, we thought it would be valuable to document some of what we've been learning along the way in the form of advice for others interested in taking this journey toward culturally responsive teaching. To capture our collective learning, we did brainstorming sessions with the teams from each of our schools and then organized the advice that was generated into three overarching themes. Today, I'm going to lead a discussion with three of the teachers from this program on one of those themes, the importance of learning, unlearning, and taking risks when becoming a culturally responsive educator. So let me introduce you to everyone uh, that's with me today. We're going to start with Victoria Parent. Victoria is an English teacher at Monican High School. She holds a master's degree in secondary English education from University of Mary Washington and has been teaching for three years. She was a 2020 Book Love Foundation grant recipient, is a project lit chapter leader, and a proud Filipina American. She's interested in action research, culturally responsive teaching, education for empowerment, and co-creating classroom spaces where students feel an authentic sense of belonging. Welcome, Victoria. Clarissa Adkins is a high school English teacher at Meadowbrook High School and has taught there for six, the last six years. In April 2021 she released her first full length book, uh, poetry book, Building Alexandria, which I just purchased. Clarissa's work has also appeared in The Pinch Journal, Work Magazine, Lingering in the Margins, A River City Poets Anthology, Lily Poetry Review, and more. She co-coordinates her school's Poetry Out Loud program and is a submission reader for Sugarhouse Review Poetry Journal. Welcome Clarissa. And Ricky Elistad is a math teacher at Monacan High School in Chesterfield County, Virginia. He is currently in his 11th year of teaching. He taught five years in Chesterfield County right out of college at Midlothian High School, and then taught internationally in Bogota, Colombia for three years. His first child was born in Bogota, and he and his wife decided to plant their roots back here in Chesterfield County, landing both of them at Monacan High School. Outside of teaching, Ricky enjoys coaching basketball and soccer at the high school level. His goal as a high school math teacher is to change students perceptions of having to attend boring old math classes and make math fun and enjoyable for all. So welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited about our conversation. And I thought a good place to start would be um, to define what we mean by cultural responsive teaching. So when we say cultural responsive teaching, what what comes to mind for you. And I'm going to start with Clarissa, if you could tell us a little about your thoughts on that.
1: So, I feel like it's a lot of unlearning, um, previous biases. I also feel like it's showing a little bit of vulnerability in the classroom. And it's also being a good human being in the classroom, Um, understanding that your students come from a lot of different backgrounds, and making it a nurturing, comfortable environment for everybody in the class. Okay. Victoria, Ricky, what would, you, what
0: would you add to that?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I really just want to echo the unlearning piece. I mean, we have all been students for most of our lives and then teachers for um the past um several years for some of us long periods of time. And I think it's really easy to teach the way you have been taught. I mean, that is just what we are so comfortable with. But I think that there's this reckoning that we have to do um with the fact that, you know, schools for um the their existence in in the United States have not been culturally responsive, have not been designed to meet the needs of diverse students and to really encourage them to take pride in their diverse identities and and to cultivate those diverse identities. So a lot of unlearning, um, but then also with culturally responsive teaching, I feel like so much of it involves authentically incorporating the diverse cultures and needs of our students throughout our curriculum in our classroom environments. It's not just having like months of appreciation or highlighting here and there, the differences um, that our students bring to the classroom, but just really incorporating it in in the real fabric of of our classrooms.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree um, kind of with what both of you all, Claire and Victoria have laid out already. Um, responsive teaching I really view it as right bringing the kids cultures their interests into the classroom. um and you know from what i've seen over the past two years uh, just the impact um, that this can have is is substantial um you know, one of my goals is trying to make math class, you know, not so you know boring. Um, but one way to do that is to, to talk about the things kids care about. Um, and, and to recognize and acknowledge the way they were raised uh, and their beliefs can be very, very different from the way I was raised and my beliefs. And in uh, the fact that me acknowledging the way they've been raised and their beliefs really entitles them and gives them some power. Um, in my classroom, where generally speaking, there's a teacher student relationship where the teacher has all the power. So that is very empowering to students.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So the the topic that we're working with today is this idea of learning and unlearning that, Victoria, you already brought that up a little bit. Um, And when we were kind of brainstorming this among the different schools and getting advice for other teachers, uh, a big piece that came out was the idea of self-awareness. So um, in the context of CRT, what does it really mean for a teacher to be self-aware and why do you think this is important for doing this type of work and and Ricky I'm going to let you let you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. Sure yeah, I think this is one of the most important things that I've learned about CRT. Um
3: and one example I have, you know, regarding self-awareness is I hear so often teachers um talking about students being disrespectful. And you know, I've come to learn this this definition of respect is different for everybody. So to have one blanket statement that a student is being disrespectful, well, the way I was raised, uh, you know, in saying yes sir or yes ma'am, holding doors for people, that's not the way everybody was raised. And so me being able to step back and say, oh, just because I think this way about this situation and this is how someone should act, that is not uh, how everybody, you know, would attack would approach that situation. Mm-hmm. And so, as far as self-awareness, Clarissa touched on kind of the implicit biases, um, you know, that, that I've just bec- that I've learned throughout my lifetime and then throughout society, and um, acknowledging those, uh, learning those. And, and taking those into the classroom and, and being open-minded to, to just understand that not everybody, if even anybody, uh, approaches every single situation the exact same way I do. And, uh, and, and I have to you know, be cognizant of that um, if I wanna bring out the best in each of my students.
0: Yeah, do you, Clarissa or Victoria, do you have thoughts to share about your own kind of sense of like what the self-awareness piece means?
1: One of the things I've thought a lot about is how when I was first when I first started teaching, I would find myself getting really angry about things. Um, if I didn't if a student seemed to be disrespectful or a student you know I had a clash with the same student over and over again. And something that has helped a lot is just you know realizing what Ricky said is that every student has a different background, but it's also, hey, this is a a teenager or this is a child and they're trying to figure out boundaries they're trying to figure out everything so a lot of it comes back to just understanding human development and being more patient and it's actually made me enjoy teaching more and i don't go home quite as exhausted as i as i used to because i'm not letting my emotions go on this huge roller coaster i can be just more patient with my students Yeah.
2: And I, I think that both Ricky and Clarissa have brought up really brilliant points, especially in regards to implicit bias. And, and sometimes I also consider how, you know, self-awareness, how that contributes to motivation and like, what do you want the end goal of your culturally responsive teaching to be? And I feel like so many of us educators who are really committed to culturally responsive teaching. We want to educate for empowerment. We want to liberate, help our students find liberation within these systems that can feel very oppressive and very restraining. And I, I just really feel like it's a it's a full commitment but you have to be willing to be reflective and be very aware of yourself and, and your upbringing as well. And for me, this work um, as to become a culturally responsive educator, it's been just so transformative for me personally, because it's allowed me to really reconcile a lot of the um, experiences that I had as as a child growing up Um, as a second generation immigrant. My mom um, came to the United States when she was 16 and um, from the Philippines, and we grew up in a Predominantly white community, and so because I really didn't have like a community of like young Filipino Americans to kind of navigate this this world with me, I like I found myself you know just being very assimilative. Like I just decided to like kind of squash my Filipino heritage because I didn't have anyone else around me to connect with it. I didn't have people at school who were talking or studying in regards to like the curriculum, we weren't studying um, Asian American cultures. Um, I didn't have a a teacher who was of any type of Asian descent until I was midway through college. And so for me, there has been so much work to, you know, unlearn and unpack the, the shame that I now feel from, you know, distancing myself so much from my like cultural roots because of like the societal factors. And so for me, it has been just so interesting to reflect on my experiences. And I think that that has really driven my motivations as a teacher. I don't want students to feel the way I did. I want them to be able to feel seen, represented, and connected within the classroom. And I think that, you know, it's complex work because you know we're, we're not here to be saviors, but I do think that self-awareness is really the foundation for doing this really deep and complex um, culturally responsive teaching work.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can hear that. I often think about like the self-awareness being, um, you need to be self-aware because that's where your growth is happening as a teacher. That's where you're developing as a teacher and that's where it's gonna kind of influence your decisions. And I want to think about that a little bit because when we asked the question around um, like what advice would you give? And we asked all the teachers across all the schools. One of the things that came out most prominently was this idea that you got to read and you got to engage with CRT and watch videos and listen to podcasts. And um, I know Victoria, you're all about the Twitter handles and things like that. Um, so I'd like to hear like how like um, engaging with um the ideas that are kind of floating around in, in, in media and in literature and theory right now have really kind of helped with the self-awareness piece for you. And um, Victoria, why don't you start with that? And then Clarissa and Ricky, if you have thoughts on that, that'd be great too.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I feel like once you kind of have this awakening, either like through having a community pushing you and helping you grow within um, becoming culturally responsive, I, I think that you have to read to kind of satisfy that this hunger for knowing and you just find that there's always something to read, always something to listen to, always something to watch. Um, but I mean, there's just so, so much out there. And I just, I learn, like you said, Jesse, really regularly from Twitter. I'm very active on, on teacher Twitter. And there are just, um, everyone is just having conversations on Twitter. And of course, there are different um, sections and different groups, but there are um, organizations like Disrupt Texts, and We Need Diverse Books. Um, Clear the air is a conversation and, and book chat. These are all just conversations that happen daily and it's a really welcoming community. So, um, Clarissa mentioned vulnerability at the very beginning of this conversation. And I, I do think that it can often be a space where you can just show up. And there are educators all around, um, the country here to just talk to you about their ideas. There's so much to, to listen and learn. And people are just sharing these. Anecdotal experiences from their classrooms that I think make us feel connected to one another, which helps really sustain the work, so I I really recommend jumping on teacher Twitter if you are not there yet, but um, some other works that have been really just informative for me um, over the summer I listened to the. the limited series Nice White Parents, um, mm-hmm. which was, oh my gosh, I think it was um, published in some degree by the by the New York Times, but it was a really fascinating look at the history of, of charter schools and in modern forms of segregation in school. So there's there's a lot that looks at the, the overall structure and, and, and the systems of schooling in the United States that I just think is so necessary for teachers to um to know. I learn a lot from listening to revisionist history, especially there. Um, episode about Brown versus the Board of Education. I think that's a transformative one to listen to for educators. Um, And then also just reading both practitioner texts and in literature. So not only reading the the books that are actually trying to tell you about pedagogical practices, like I really like We Got This um, by Cornelius Minor, but also reading stories and books from diverse perspectives. We often say literature um, should be a mirror and a window. And it is just it it, it cultivates empathy, curiosity, and just gives you an avenue to connect with many of your students. Um, And I think it's just, it's so important to fuel that self-awareness, but also it gives you this avenue to connect with other teachers either on Twitter, online, or especially even better within your community of educators um, regionally and especially within your school.
0: Yeah. Other thoughts on this around like engaging with the ideas that are kind of out, out there,
1: I love that Victoria mentioned both um, other teachers and, and literature. I, I was going to add poetry to that, mm-hmm. just reading poetry from a lot of diverse um, voices. And also just watching teachers at my school, seeing what they do, what works, what doesn't work. Um, I've also, you know, trying to read books from cultural perspectives. Jason Reynolds, uh, you know, rewrote Stamped and then uh, The Making of a Racist, which the title is really jarring, but the book was, it's really well written, and uh, it doesn't make you understand it. It doesn't make you feel compassion at all for for that viewpoint, but it does help you understand ways to try to overcome some of these systemic issues that we're having. I did read White Fragility, and I know we're kind of getting out of the pedagogy spectrum here, but um, I just feel like getting your hands on as many voices as you can is really helpful. Just letting yourself kind of go from one to another Mm -hmm. as part of like just this sort of informal research as well as the formal research.
0: Right,
3: right. Sure, and I'd I'd add that getting out of the pedagogy is actually uh, really getting into the pedagogy um, in the fact that I think a word we've kind of been beating around the bush a lot uh, is the word empathy and becoming more and more empathetic. And how do you become more and more empathetic, um, you know, by reading books like that? As far as the literature and the Twitter and the poems, it's, it's Pandora's box. Once you start, uh, you know, it is, it's endless, the number of resources that are out there. Um, My first book that that I read regarding this was Bettina Loves, We Want to Do More Than Survive. And that was about a year and a half ago, and I currently now have an entire bookshelf of books similar to that, um, that I'm just checking off, that that I'm going down, working through, and reading. And I'm currently reading three books at a time, um, depending on kind of what mood I'm in that night. And for someone who has never read, I've not been a big reader, know my wife's like whoa this has really changed you um so i think i think reading is huge i think having that community of people to talk to and bounce ideas off is extremely important Mm -hmm. and uh the last you know kind of resource that i want to throw in that i've made really good use of is my students um listening to what they have to say listening to that student voice and listening to their stories and the troubles and the things that they're going through, um, that right there has, you know, really, really made me become a better culturally responsive teacher um, mm-hmm. throughout this entire process.
2: Yeah, and I just want to add um, something to that, because it really is just, I mean, it's like flooring sometimes, like when you have these vulnerable conversations with students that I feel like come about because they recognize what you are doing in the classroom when they see that you are creating these these spaces that that feel safe and and I think that that's so important to recognize that this is like cognizant work I mean I think that all teachers want to want to say and believe that like oh yeah my classroom is welcoming Um, it's a safe space but it takes real thoughtful intentional work especially to reach groups that have been historically marginalized especially thinking you know racially ethnically um, because of sexuality. Um, But students notice when you do those things. And then I think it just um, strengthens your relationships with one another. And I just had a conversation with um, some students last week who are they're fully virtual students and and they've been kind of meditating on what it's going to be like to come back in the fall. And they express some of their concerns about like why they chose to stay at home that were more socially it was for like social concerns rather than for, um, you know, necessarily health concerns. And so just like letting them have that space just to talk through their thoughts and their feelings and just to be that that listening ear, when they say like, just thank you so much for listening at the end, it, it, it feels heavy because I think we know that not all teachers are listening to their students and giving them space like that to be vulnerable. and it's just it's so important and it really does it informs your work maybe more than more than anything that you, that you read. It complements it works together but just listening to your students, um, but it does take time to to get to that point and to develop that rapport with them.
0: Yeah, I, I really like how the conversation around like reading got to student voice because I, I do think they're connected and I think um, it's about, it's about like kind of taking ideas in that, that change your way of thinking. And I think it comes from both sources. One of the things that I think about a lot as somebody that's interested in professional development, like what does it mean for a professional to develop in any sphere? And for this, we're talking about cultural responsive teaching is the importance of reflection where you're taking ideas that exist out, you know, theories that exist or, you know, concepts that are there And then you think about how, how do I enact this in my practice and and how does the learning happen in that interaction? Well, it's through creating spaces for reflection. And I know that you all have been doing a lot of reflection and, you know, so the action research projects are really set up to encourage you to reflect on your work and to collect evidence and to say, what did I, you know, pose a question, collect evidence and ask, like, what did I learn from this? So, and I, you know, we set up some structures for that. Like we had you kind of do your presentations, but I am really interested in like, when you're looking back what do you see as like your reflective moments like what what, what were the spaces that you reflected and they could be formal or informal it could be writing but it could also just be times that you felt like you were you were doing the reflection that advanced your thinking around stuff and i'm gonna let clarissa um give us some thoughts on this and then kind of open it up
1: so i started like the first year with um focus on music and i thought well my students love music so much i love music so we started making playlists based on the literature that we were reading. And it was something that ended up being better in theory than and it could have just been the way that I implemented it and thinking it's gonna go so great. And then, you know, maybe it's just the way I went about doing it. And it wasn't bad. A lot of good things came out of it, but it wasn't as just this huge epiphany or eye-opening thing. It's when I kind of simplified the next year, which this past school year that it seemed that a lot more doors were opening and it's based off of what Victoria was talking about with that vulnerability and I just opened up the school year knowing that the students had just gone through you know this year of like social change and uprising and the pandemic and I just said hey you know I just want you guys to know that I'm gonna give us opportunities to talk about what's been going on in the world. And we're going to try to, you know, just informally, maybe formally, sometimes talk about these things. And I want you to know that it's difficult for me to talk about it freely. It's it's uncomfortable. And somehow, through these conversations, the students acknowledge that they were uncomfortable as well. And that has become one of the best parts of this whole experience. Was just the, those conversations when the students knew that, like, oh, okay. You know, I can I can vent a little bit during this class. Um, we can have a conversation, and if things get out of control, you know, she's going to try to get us back, you know, from where we from where we went. If it was like really uncomfortable, or if somebody's kind of getting on the line of maybe offensive or whatnot, and uh, it's a lot of good conversations happened happened this year, and I'm not saying it's going to change the world but i think that a student having one or two teachers throughout their lifetime that are willing to talk about uncomfortable things can make a big difference because it made a big difference in my life
0: yeah other other thoughts on on the idea of reflection and i'm thinking about like what are the times when you were, you were reflecting on your practice and that could happen in the context. It seems like closer to what you're talking about. is like it happening in the context of a classroom in with your working with your students where the learning was happening collaboratively within the class. What are some other spaces where you feel like as teachers, you were reflecting on ways that led to your professional growth?
3: As, as far as, I mean, reflecting on my CRT, um, in one way, this this is happening daily, I'm reflecting on how I taught that previous day and in all the different interactions that I faced and and how I handled them um, and how they win. And I think one of the, the biggest things I've done this year that I have never done previously is I've asked my students to fill out more surveys uh, about themselves. Um, one of my surveys is simply I wish my teacher knew. And then I gave the students free space to just kind of write. And some of the things that I learned through that survey, um, you know, I left reading those responses, and I'm like, "How in the world is this student ever supposed to think about math when they're going through all this? Um, hmm. How is this student turning in all their homeworks? I, I don't. I couldn't have done that." And so, I've really reflected on what's the goal of my teachings um, throughout this entire CRT process. Um, obviously I want to teach the, the students content and that will come, but there's a whole heck of a lot more that I feel like I can, I can teach them. And, uh, conversely, they can teach me. Um, that's been another big reflection is that these kids have so much to offer me, um, you know, relatively speaking. And so, I've really reflected on my, my last 10 years of teaching, this being my 11th year. And I said, hey, I've done things this way for 10 years, um, you know, the way I was taught math. And now I'm trying something completely different. Um, and not necessarily completely different, but relatively speaking, it, it's, it's very different than my normal first 10 years of teaching. And so, and then this entire year I've spent, you know, reflecting on what are the pros, what are the cons to the way I've approached things this year. Um, but I think the biggest thing, you know, just as far as reflection is, is just listening to what the kids think of my lesson um, or my teachings. You know, I, let, I gave them another survey. What's your favorite thing about this class, which I really wasn't that interested in. Um, But I was really interested in what's your least favorite part of my class. And I told them, I want y'all to be brutally honest with me. This is your responses to that question are going to make me a better teacher um, when I hear the things that you don't like. And, uh, you know, I got generic answers too much homework, too many tests, and, you know, things of that nature that you kind of expect to hear from high school kids. But then some kids really gave me some really productive responses. so I think just taking the time to let the kids tell me what they think of me and being completely open to some constructive criticism, um, using that as a tool to, to grow and to progress rather than getting upset that the kids don't like whatever it is that I do. Um, so that's that's been a big part of, of reflection for me throughout these past two years. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I read a book in grad school called The Students Are Watching. And I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but they they really do notice everything. And it's always so much fun because I have um a couple of kids I think in, in Ricky's class and they're always like, man, like wish that we had more conversations like what we do in Mr. Ellistad's class. I wish I could tell all my teachers what I thought of <laughs> what they were doing. It's it's so it's so fun because they really do just like notice um and appreciate it. And it's so important to model that reflective process for them. Um, I think for me, you know, reflection—it's—it's it's part of the foundation of everything. Reflection is what leads to self-awareness. Reflection is what allows you to grow. Um, it's reflections like this safe space to sit in your discomfort and to really just grapple with and try to to hold everything that I feel like sometimes just like slips out of our, our fingers as, as teachers. We just have so much to juggle, so much to carry, but reflection, like when I think of it is kind of just like this quiet personal space where I can lay everything out on the table and and consider it at at my own pace. Um, and, you know, as an English teacher, like, I've always loved reading and writing. Um, and it is like a little bit devastating that now like writing, like generally sometimes at the end of a long day of teaching exhausts me. So I've had to find creative ways to still reserve that reflective space for myself. Um, I've kind of a long commute to work because I live in the city and then I drive out to Monacan. And so what a habit that I've created for myself is all sometimes just create voice recordings on my phone while I drive. Like I just set it up before I start driving and then I'll just talk through things from the day. And it's, really interesting to go back and listen to those things especially because you know some of them are kind of uplifting and motivating but then others get really heavy with just like sometimes you really do feel crushed by the weight of of a system that takes a very long time to change and sometimes it's really frustrating when you you feel like you can't make progress with students or where you feel like you're philosophical intentions of what you want to do and achieve as a teacher are being really just impeded by standardized testing and everything that we we have to do as teachers so it's It's become like a a very interesting um, artifact for myself um, as I've documented. I've been doing this for um, since I became a teacher. Um, And so it's especially interesting to go back and listen to those voice recordings that can sometimes just be five minutes. Sometimes I'll talk to myself the entire time I'm driving home. Um, But it's, I think it's so important to document your progress in some way, whether you write it down, you you make a voice recording, or or sometimes I feel like you can even reflect through just conversations with trusted colleagues or friends. Um, I think it's important to have someone within your within your school um that you can talk to that really gets it. And then it's important also to have support systems outside of school that can give you fresh perspectives. And I think that the the other outcome of this reflective process is, is a bit of, of, of bravery and, and a bit of um, encouragement when we start to feel a little bit um, downtrodden by, by the system again, just because I, I feel like with culturally responsive teaching, we are intentionally trying to push the envelope. We're trying to create a norm of teaching that we that we know doesn't exist everywhere yet we know that um being culturally responsive in both your practice and your curriculum is not what we are seeing across the board in public schools so it is uncomfortable and it is easy to like I said earlier go to fall back on old practices and say oh well you know just mercy is like a little bit um it might be a little bit much for the kids. I should just teach to kill a mockingbird because that's what's always been taught. But I think that through reflecting not only independently but then reflecting with like a partner um, through conversation you can really push yourself into that, that zone of discomfort where you really do have to be a little bit risky sometimes when it comes to your teaching. And I think that that's what can sustain us in this work.
0: Well, that's also an excellent transition to our next question, (laughs) which is um, another idea that was shared across um, the groups when we were brainstorming advice. And kind of to distill it, it's to take risks and to be courageous in CRT. If you're going to do CRT, you have to kind of have those as kind of um, sort of guiding principles. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. Like, What do we mean by risk when we think about CRT? how do you see the idea of risk-taking as important to development as a culturally culturally responsive teacher? And Victoria, I'll let you um, kind of expand on that idea and then open it up.
2: Yeah, I this one um, is really like near and dear to my heart. Um, and to, to answer it, I just wanna start by saying my focus um, uh, in my action research project for this year, um, I've been spending the last year looking at the experiences of students of color in honors classes, because um, students of color are typically minority students in these classes, and especially with um, specialty centers where you know, students apply in middle school and then they, they go to these high school magnet programs. Um, what I was just observing in my school um, were these just really um, just really small numbers of, of students of color in predominantly white classrooms. Um, and when you know, the social unrest and social change around racial justice and racial injustice um, started to really pick up momentum this summer. I was really curious about how that would impact our students. And, you know, to me, like what, what I saw there is that it is risky for students of color sometimes to be in these classroom spaces. And that has kind of encouraged me to take risks by continuing to push for these cultural or, or curricular changes that are culturally responsive, because that is going to best serve those students, those students who are minority students, those students who are potentially grappling with um, you know, social alienation or social marginalization from their peers for their differences because of you know, implicit bias um, due to racial microaggressions and, and such that they might experience in the classroom. and so seeing the risk that my students take to, you know, show up into these spaces and, um, you know, pull up a seat to the table, it has really pushed and challenged me to to take risks. And and I think that the risk really lies in um, just doing, doing something that hasn't been done before and really just pushing for for change and and not being afraid to to talk about these, these topics that have been, um, you know, kind of hushed in the classroom for many years. Like, I feel really fortunate to be, to work at a school and in a school district that will, that will talk about race and white supremacy and, and like pinpoint these and name these as the systems of oppression that we are, we are fighting against. But I think that you know, especially in school districts that might not embrace that language, that might not call things what they are, it is risky to bring up these these ideas in the classroom. To bring in new books, um, there's there's fear of saying that you know, oh, you're indoctrinating our children, and and I think that it does take a strong community. It takes a strong pedagogical um, footing to really say like no, this is this is best practice for education. this is how learning is going to happen. this is this is really how we cultivate critical thinking and critical consciousness, which is what we want to see um, our students develop. But I do think that it can be scary sometimes to be a, a culturally responsive teacher because it sometimes feels like a lot of people just, don't want to go there. They don't want to get uncomfortable. They want to stick to the status quo, but it is necessary to have more and more teachers committed to getting uncomfortable, to to doing this courageous work because the students benefit from it. We see this in, I I saw it in the qualitative data I picked up this school year um, in my research. We see it in the quantitative data that, um, you know, Merck um, just released the the study about looking, looking at um, the culture or no, sorry. looking at students of color in, in honors classrooms and looking at the disparities there. But I mean, this is how we're gonna change the world. So um, it's risky, but it's necessary.
0: Ricky, Clarissa, you do have reflections on the idea of courage and risk in CRT.
1: I think that uh, there's different kinds of risks. There's a the risk that you take by showing that vulnerability to your students and not Following the rule of don't smile until December, I've thought a lot about that and how that's mm-hmm. what they all told me when I first started teaching. I was like, you know what? I'm going to smile in August, and <laughs> I'm going to try to smile the entire year. And then there's um, what Victoria was touching upon is that courageousness outside of the classroom. And I found myself over the past year, especially, writing emails to to admin when I noticed something that was that didn't sit right. So it, it gives teachers a voice and it, and it helps us give our students a voice. So mm-hmm. it's, it's emotional, it's, it's intense, but it's, it's a good work. And I feel, and it, it makes me feel proud to be a teacher and, and feel humbled to be a teacher.
3: You have yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. to add on to that, I, you know, the risk, um, I don't necessarily see it as, as risk, but the risk is you changing yourself uh, and, and all the kids that you teach for the better. I think there, therein lies the risk of, of CRT. Um, I think you need to be, become comfortable with being uncomfortable and understand that being uncomfortable isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a great opportunity for a lot of people to learn, Mm -hmm. um, when you're in those uncomfortable situations. Um, but, be learning more and more about culturally responsive teaching has by far of any, you know, I don't, I don't even like to call this a PD, Jesse, I know you've used the word PD a number of times. Um, and it, it is professional de- development, but it's, it's much, much more than that. Um, it's by far been the most impactful thing in the field of education that I've, that I've ever been through. I've been through math PDs. I've been through gen- generic education PDs that stick with you for maybe a week. Um, But this is something that's changed my entire uh, view of education. Uh, It's also changed and opened my eyes to things outside of school and outside of education, uh, in society, in our country, in our world. Um, And it's also made a a lasting impact on the way I'm raising my kids. Mm. I am doing things, you know, very, very differently than what I assumed or than what was done to me when I was raised um, or when I was a child. Um, but just as far as the books, we read my daughter, my son, um, the conversations we have with her. Um, so that, you know, those are some things that I'm very thankful for that I've gotten, you know, into culture responsive teaching. And, uh, it's, it's just made me a a much, much better educator.
0: Yeah. Just the last question here. Um, I kind of added this one on but you know after this conversation we've kind of touched on a lot of different topics um there imagine there's somebody coming into your school next year that's like you know comes to you and said hey you know i I heard that you're interested in cultural responsive teaching do you have any advice for me is there any any other tips you would share any other thoughts you would want to you would want to um get them to think about as they were starting this journey
3: yeah, sure. I mean, my, my biggest thing was, was go for it, do it. Um, <laughs> I think the scariest part of culture responsive teaching is there's not one way to do it. When mm-hmm. I started this, I kept looking for people to tell me, you know, what, what do I need to do to, to be a culture responsive teacher? Mm-hmm. Tell me how to do it and I can do it. And in the very beginning, everyone was like, well, I, I don't know. You, you just got to go. You got to go figure it out for yourself. There's no one size fits all for everybody. And so having more people, you know, uh, buy into this and see the progress and see the benefit that this can have on students um, is fantastic. We, we need this to, to keep growing, um, to make our, our whole educational system, you know, that much better. And, uh, and so d- don't be afraid to, to do things differently would be some advice I would give them. Mm-hmm. Um, again, be, be comfortable being uncomfortable and uh, find ways to immerse yourself in other cultures, um, and that's that's you know it's not things like a vacation somewhere else for two days. Oh, I went to Spain for two days, so I understand the Spanish culture. Mm, that's not what I'm getting at. You, you really need to dive into and learn, and be be very open minded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, read, 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 listen, listen, listen. Those are all things that I would constantly promote to anybody thinking about culture responsive teaching.
0: Cool.
1: I was gonna say that uh, one of the biggest things I've learned and and I forget which article it was in, but um, maybe we can add a note, Jesse. (laughs) Uh, Basically that all teachers have biases and teachers don't have any, don't have fewer biases than other people, others, you know, just anyone else walking down the street. And that was really shocking to me because I assumed that all teachers were already culturally responsive, already trying to be, you know, trying to embrace all the students in their classrooms. So I would say to any teacher, the teachers that, that's just starting out or a teacher has been teaching for 20 years is uh, realize that you probably still have some biases deep in there and try to be really aware of what those are and try to make changes based off of those realizations and keep reading, like Ricky said, and uh, keep talking about it.
2: Um, So I was having um, a conversation with with Hillary, one of the other um, VCU peeps um, associated with art, crit, and work, and she and I were talking about how culturally responsive teaching is, it's deeper than just loving your students and appreciating their diversity. Um, And so that might be like one thought for consideration. Like you can love your students, you can appreciate that they bring something different to the classroom, but culturally responsive teaching is actionable work that is a process and it is intentional. Um, And I would also just say that culturally responsive teaching is for everyone in every school regarding of the demographic makeup of your school community. Um, There are schools out there in communities that are predominantly white, predominantly affluent that still benefit from doing this work. So it transcends just Writing down the different cultures in your classroom, and then picking poems and books that that reflect that—it's it's much deeper work that is tied to so many of the concepts we've touched on today: self-awareness, reflection, risk-taking. Um, and so that's not to be intimidating. There are like steps that you can take to to become this, but I think it's so important that we we ground ourselves in those notions that this is deep, complex work of a lifetime it's work of a lifetime and but so like if a teacher were to like walk into my school and say like how do i get started um i do think that we should give them like one piece of literature to get started with maybe um something by zaretta hammond culture responsive teaching in the brain the dream keepers by gloria ladson billings or um what is it oh my gosh um goldie muhammad's newest book um mm-hmm. is, is it like I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I would maybe give them some type of literature and then encourage them to enter. Oh yeah, there it is, Cultivating Genius. (laughs) Um, And then encourage um, that teacher to to interview their students about their learning experiences thus far and and try to figure out, you know, what do your students want to learn in this class? What do they want to see there? And start to kind of create this constructivist classroom. um, Because I think that that could lend itself um, very nicely to, beginning your culturally responsive teaching work.
0: All right. Well, we're going to have to pause it there for now, but this was such a great conversation. Um, For those of you listening, you can learn more about our work with culturally responsive teaching on the Merck website at Merck, that's M-E-R-C-S-O-E, the School of Education, mercksoe.vcu.edu projects. So you can go to the Merck website and find it. We're going to be sharing lots of information from this study there, so um, you might also want to sign up for our email listserv on our homepage to stay up to date on our research. You can also subscribe and listen to other episodes of Abstract wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Our thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck and to all of our partner school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Petersburg, Powhatan, and Richmond Public Schools. Thanks also to the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities for leading the student voice component of this project. Thanks to Clarissa, Ricky, and Victoria for your amazing work on this project and sharing your advice today. And of course, thanks as always to you for joining our conversation. We hope you will share this episode with anyone who you think would find it interesting or helpful. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.